I'm Mick Garrison. This is Postmortem, and it's a very special bonus episode of Postmortem this week. Uh, I'm not going to do the usual philosophical introduction about the state of the horror genre because we're here for a celebration. This is the 30th anniversary of my first feature film as a director, Critters 2. And so we have gathered some of the luminaries from that film uh, to help celebrate this happy birthday with a cake and everything. Um, I had established myself in a writing career. I'd worked for Steven Spielberg on Amazing Stories. I'd started writing movies like Hocus Pocus and The Fly 2. And I was starting to get people to make directing offers. And it was very intimidating. There were some big budget movies that people asked if I was into. And I thought, oh, God, special effects, stunts, animals, things. That's way too difficult. I don't want my first movie to be that difficult. So instead, the first greenlit movie that I got offered from the wonderful Bob Shea and New Line Pictures, uh, New Line Cinema, was Critters 2, which had all of those things, but a tiny little budget. Yeah. Anyway, to, to celebrate with me are the Kyoto brothers who created the Critters. That's uh, Edward and Charles and Stephen Kyoto. But to me, it's Charlie and Ed and Steve. And the estimable talents of Ms. Lynn Shea. Yeah. Worldwide superstar. Oh, come on, Nick. <laughs> Horror queen mother. <laughs> So this was my first feature film. You guys had been on Critters 2 before. Lynn, tell me how things kind of evolved in, in, in terms of your approach to Sal and her rather, um, she was a unique character. She was bigger than life and everyone else was played quite down. But this was allowed to be a little explosive. Well, it sort of started, I mean, obviously in the first one, um, and it was actually the makeup artist and myself that decided to give her this retro look. I am not still 100% sure where we got that from. And I did, <laughs> because with the big red lips and the, you know, the, um, um, I had my hair sort of hennaed red, and we did it <laughs> in the, with the curls. Kind of the lowest lane the, of the Grover's lowest, Bend, exactly. Bend Gazette. But yeah. the fact that the Grover's, Grover's Lane, is that Low, Grover's Bend. Grover's yeah. Bend, excuse me. Lowest lane in Grover's Bend. <laughs> there you go. Grover's Bend, there was... Um, was this little tiny hick town, and here I was all dressed up in these outfits, you know, at the at the police station, and still one of my all-time favorite lines is, there's been a disturbance at the Bolorama Lanes. <laughs> and people Classic. still, it really was. And so that was where the, the inception of the character started, and we didn't know, of course, at the time there'd be a second one at all. No. So um, the idea was to carry through the idea, again, of the retro, this kind of retro look with... And I remember we found this great hat with with some pink flowers in it, and I found, or I, I think I found that dress. I'm not sure who who actually. I don't remember the name uh, of who did wardrobe. I, I should, but I don't. But it's only thirty years. It's only thirty yeah. years ago, right? <laughs> so um, we're lucky we're all alive, is really. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, and this, I remember the dress had this these big ro- pink roses on it, and we just sort of carried through this idea physically of um, this woman sort of caught in in romance novels and in this sort of life in the past. So there she is and there she was. So Now, Kyoto's, um, you had done the Critters before, but there was a huge evolution between one and two. And 
the number of critters, the critter ball, the giant critter, I mean, all of these things. Tell me about how that evolution came It was about. a learning curve. Oh, it really was. I guess they were originally designed for the first one. They were described in the script as fur balls with teeth, mm-hmm. and there were just like a little army of them. But then, Critters 2, you guys, you screenplay writers, <laughs> yes. wrote a, a veritable army, a true army. And yeah. not only that, like you said, the critter ball, so... Yeah, the I mean, challenges beyond the puppet was was mag- was major. Oh yeah. One, one of the fun things that you, I, I believe, was your idea. You introduced was the idea that the critters would jump to come together and create right. larger entities yeah. for themselves. Yeah. yeah. Originally, the the first critters was, uh, I think, six uh, escaped uh, convicts. Right. Crites, they escaped yeah. from the a crites. prison planet. Totally manageable. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. you not only <laughs> you wrote <laughs> in there, so it's all your Guilty. fault. Guilty. Uh, David yeah. Tui did a lot of that. Uh, a stampede first, of too. critters. Yeah. Thank you very much. But, but, You're welcome. But the giant critter ball. As yeah. we go to conventions nowadays, people just love that. It was a great way to top the critters instead of making one 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 critter that grew larger. They'd seen yeah. that before. You topped it by making a giant oh, critter ball. There was too. that moment where the yeah. ball yeah. comes rolling toward the truck, I remember, <laughs> yeah. and I go, it has teeth. And we said, I remember when, <laughs> we were screaming. And we just oh, my of, favorite <laughs> moment of Sal is, and he's coming, he's got teeth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just really go insane. It's really wonderful. So we loved the critter ball. <laughs> yeah. so it was a challenge for us. It really was. Yeah, because I remember the, the, the evolution, obviously, we made the, the biggest change we made from the first movie to this one, because we wanted to do more with them in the animatronics, we actually physically made them larger. Right. And we used a different fur material. But the, the So they were hand puppets, but was, they were also animatronic at the yeah, same time. Yeah, they had time. cable control. They uh, were hand puppets even? I didn't know that. Yeah, some they of them a, were, yeah. They had a, uh, animatronic faces to make the servos to make all the lips move, but then all the arms and things were cable controlled. Right. Yeah, they were and, very small. And I learned uh, on Critters 1 not to use moose pelts. <laughs> on, on such tiny little things because the, Thank hide, you for that. the yeah. hide was very stiff. So on Critters 2... It looked two, really good, but it moved really bad. <laughs> yeah. They were like needle-looking things, but uh, in Critters 2, we modified it to a, um, an acrylic uh, fake fur. Well, we also embraced the comedic a little bit more. I mean, we play it straight, but it's... I mean, I admit to an influence by Gremlins. We are, after all, a sequel to a low-budget ripoff of Gremlins in the first place. But... There's some Warner Brothers cartoon stuff in there, and, and you guys, we, we got some really wonderful gags because of what you guys were able to do. Well, I think you embrace what we, what we really love about horror films. They're real visceral ones, and they're ones that are a little bit more friendly, family-friendly. Yeah. And you can have fun with the monsters. They do fun things, and they're still, they're still deadly. Scary. They're still scary. You have your scares, and you have your laughs. And I think you, we embrace what, I think what, you are, what you are delivering. Yeah, was Lynn, what were your favorite moments in this? Because you you got to be terrified, right. you got to be funny, but you also played it straight, which makes it funnier yes. as far as I'm concerned. I hope so. And I mean my relationship with Sheriff. You know, I mean Sheriff well Emmett yeah. well, there were two different ones because right. the first one was Emmett Walsh. Emmett Walsh. Who was who was actually he, he I remember I was very nervous because it was my big brother Bob Shea. It was uh, his for the head his, of the studio. Yeah, yes. it was, and I um and I was nervous. I mean, I, I we were just starting this this process, and I remember Emmett was really great because he'd say, "Oh, I suppose you want to run your lines," <laughs> <laughs> and I went, "Oh yeah, oh okay." <laughs> so we would run the lines, and he says, "And I'll bet you want to run them again." <laughs> so he really sort of shepherded me through um, th- through the first one, and then Barry Corbin, who right. is also an extraordinary actor, oh, um, so great. Yeah. He was he was our sheriff, and the second one. Mm-hmm. 
and Barry and I also. It was, it was a different chemistry between the two of us. But the, I think Sal always had a crush on the sheriff in some, <laughs> in some way. But the, not the Easter Bunny sheriff. No, not the Easter Bunny. Right? <laughs> he was grumpy. Yeah. <laughs> the Easter Bunny was very grumpy. But, um, but I think there were so many... It was mostly the people. I mean, I loved working with all the different actors, too, and with Mick Garris, who directed us, <laughs> yeah, well, who, who, I must say, it was like knowing it was your first movie, and um, and you were you were so earnest. You had an earnestness. In was your, I? Yes, you mm, were. Okay. To at least, I remember, and, and you, it turned, you did it, you know, you turned it out. So I can't spe- specifically think of one moment except the, the ball rolling at the truck. I think that was my favorite moment. That was a, an explosive Critics, too, sort of had it all. It had Eddie Deason, you know, it had uh, uh, an ex-Playboy yeah. uh, uh, centerfold yep. there. Oh, right. So it had everything. It had uh, things for the adults, it had things for the kids, it had thrills, it had scares, it had everything. It was too big for its own britches, you know. It was a $4 million movie that acted like a $20 million. $4 million. And on top of that, we introduced the baby critters for the first time. Baby critters, when they attacked Mr. Quigley. It's funny, I don't know if you remember, because we shot that during the holidays. It's got to be somewhere. There must be a great outtake where we did the baby critters singing the Christmas song by the Chipmunks. That's right, we did. We did. We we played the record and then lip-synced with all the puppets. (laughs) So my producer, Joe Russo, is here to help out so I don't have to interview myself. So he's going to throw in some (laughs) questions. He's so good at it. He's so good at it. I was just watching him go. And so you wind him up and, and there he goes. He's pretty good at this. He is pretty good at it. I've done it once or twice. I mean, so so in, in preparing for the Critters 2 30th anniversary episode of Postmortem, I was trying to do some research online and, and there's not as much information about this as there should be, I feel like. For, especially for a movie that's lasted this long and, and, and been this well received and it's become a little bit of an Easter perennial. It's know? kind of amazing how it's been revived. It was a total flop when it came out, but it's much but more it's popular more popular now, now than, than it's ever been. I mean, we and sell out screenings at festivals and like the silent movie theater we did. And so my, my real hope for this was just so that we can get all this information out there so people can hear it. You know? noticed <laughs> maybe like the last five or six years has been a definitely resurgence on all the critter movies. Yeah. I guess with uh, being Leonardo on Net- DiCaprio's Netflix first and stuff, yeah. uh, people are really number seeing three. it. Yeah, number, number three, three, Leo. Yeah. Um, well, so I guess I'm going to ask Mick a question because he doesn't get he doesn't get grilled enough on this. Uh, so so let's go back in time. Uh, you know, a couple of years before you got the job for Critters, you were just starting to get into writing. You mentioned amazing stories before. I always thought the story about the the director who gave you a phone call and, and got you that job was a pretty interesting one. And I feel like it kind of segues into Critters a little bit. Well, it definitely does because if I had not been working for King Stephen, uh, I, I don't think I would have been as attractive to New Line to do this film. But yeah, I was uh, just really struggling trying to make a go of it as a screenwriter. And my first job was when I got the call at home from Steven Spielberg. Literally a call at home from Steven. Literally a home <laughs> call. Did you believe it was him? I did believe it was him because okay. I had known him. He had been on my old Z Channel show in 1979. And I had done publicity on uh, E.T. and I helped do the making of Poltergeist. So I'd known him from that. And uh, and so... And he had read one of your scripts, right? That was the... Yeah, what happened was I was doing the making of The Goonies. Right. And I was interviewing Stephen uh, for the documentary the first day of shooting up in Astoria, Oregon. And 
And Stephen said, oh, you must do a lot of these things. And I said, well, not really. I'm really trying to just make a go of it as a writer. I didn't think I was saying anything ballsy, which I look back now and go, oh, Jesus, did I really say that to Steven Spielberg? <laughs> but he said, oh, really, we're looking for writers for this new series I'm going to do called Amazing Stories. And coincidentally, my agent had submitted a spec script I had done called Uncle Willie to this day has still not been made. Well, it might get made now. (laughs) I I doubt it. What was Uncle Willie about? uh, Uncle Willie was a – it was a story set in the 1950s about a kid's show host who attempts and botches a suicide and becomes disfigured and befriends a 12-year-old boy who lives in the neighborhood. That's a great story. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm very proud of it. And and the coverage, while Stephen was out of town, his people had read it and written coverage and said the last – sentence of the coverage was hire this man. Wow. I found out later because they actually gave me the coverage. That's pretty cool. Um, and it was as if my mother had written it. But, <laughs> um, so, but you kind of became entrenched in the Spielberg camp. You were, you were there during that Amblin era. And, and yeah. like you said before, Critters is kind of a, a wink and a nod towards Gremlins in a way. It's Spielbergian. And, it's Spielbergian. And, and, and I embrace that. And I was a part of that. You know, I had been on Amazing Stories, and I had directed twice. I did a TV movie for Disney called Fuzz Bucket after I'd already been hired by Steven. It was okay to hire me. (laughs) Um, And then I did an episode of um, Amazing Stories called Life on Death Row. So I had some experience, and I think they were looking for that kind of Spielberg touch, thought maybe it would rub off because I had been working for it. You were were the youngest and the cheapest of the Spielberg camp. Exactly. (laughs) Well, Phil Joanna was cheaper, but he was getting bigger movies. Right, right. So, so, but now there was a script that existed by David David Toohey Critters 2. And it was a very good script. You read the script. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, When they asked me to direct it, you know, often you get asked if you're interested in something. They'll give you a script. It's not an offer. This was already greenlit, and it was an offer. They said, we want you, and you can rewrite it any way you want. And the script was already very good. David Toohey's a very good writer. Well, now, I remember when, when Bob was on our show a couple months ago, he said that David Toohey basically said, it's done, it's perfect, I'm walking away. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to bring that up, but since Bob did, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so so you, you got this perfect script. and then Bob didn't think so. <laughs> no, Bob did not think so. It was very clear from that interview. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, uh, no, it was a really good script, but it it could use a humor implant. Yeah. And, and I think... There was a feeling, and knowing the talents of the people involved, and Lynn Shea, if there's not a sense of humor involved in it, it's squandering Lynn Shea. And, you know, and although you're a great dramatic actress, I love when you get funny. <laughs> I, I enjoy comedy as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so Barry Opper, who was one of the producers, was saying, you know, this is supposed to be a Western, a modern-day Western. I was not a big Western fan, but I, okay, we've got the the... The uh, gunfight at the OK Corral, yeah. basically between critters and what did you think of the first critters? What was your? I thought it was really good, and yeah. in a way, it was more Spielbergian because it played it straight. Mm-hmm. There's humor in it, but it's not a comedy, right? Um, and this one, I just thought it's we family should. Family in Jeopardy. It was a family in Jeopardy. Exactly, yeah. And, yeah. and it was on a very small scale. Mm-hmm. And this one, I just thought we should kind of unleash the yoke and just. Just go for it, you know, as much as we could at that 
budget in the coldest winter in a hundred years in Southern California. Did you have to stop shooting because of the snow? Or oh, what, no, 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 no. It didn't no, snow no. that hard. Okay, all right, all right. <laughs> but, you know, the scene with Roxanne Kernahan, the nude scene yes. outside, yes, I'm sure you remember. Of course. Um, <laughs> what, what, it yeah, was why, what the you? coldest <laughs> day in a hundred years wow. uh, in Santa Clarita wow. when she did that. She was such a trooper. She is sadly no longer with us several years after that. That's not why. (laughs) She was in a car accident several years later and and was killed. Yeah. Yeah. So horrible. But anyway. Um, Yeah. On that that note. So uh, talking about comedy. Yeah. Yes. So so now, but you were around Gremlins when it was made. Yeah, uh, I, I did the making of Gremlins. <laughs> so, so, and you obviously were friends with Joe Dante for several years even before that when you were in The Howling and such. Did you ever think, I'm doing Critters, should I pick his brain? No. No? No, I, I didn't want it to be blatant. You know, sure. I was inspired by it because sure. he was inspired by the Warner Brothers cartoons. Mm-hmm. And how can you make a movie about little munchy critters without going back to the gremlins of the Warner Brothers cartoons. Right. Exactly. You know, you Mining just can't. Kind of history. And, yeah, and, and Charlie, you, you're really the designer of the group here. You're the guy who puts it on paper. You know what? When I was designing the critters with uh, Steve Herrick, uh, I was giving him fur balls with teeth, and I go back to my roots, which are the Warner Brothers Looney Tunes, and the Tasmanian Devil oh, yes. was what I modeled yes. the critters after. So. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So now everyone else at this table is involved with the first movie. Um, what, tell us about some of your experiences with Critters 1 and just the challenges of, of making, designing those, those creatures. It was our first, uh, it was our first keying of, a, uh, of a, uh, an effects movie. Yeah. Wow. I didn't realize that was your first time. How did you get hired? Yeah. Well, actually, Kevin yeah. Yeager made a very good recommendation. He was working with Bob Shea on uh, Nightmare on the, the Freddy Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh. And he did the makeup effects on my first thing, yeah. Fuzz Bucket. And then <laughs> yeah. I think Elm Street 2 was coming out, and he was offered Elm Street 2 and Critters. And instead of doing both, he suggested the Kyoto Brothers for Critters. So we're very much indebted in Kevin for that oh, suggestion. Yeah, so we went to a, a meeting with uh, Rupert Harvey and Barry Opper, the producers, and, and Steve Herrick, I believe. We had, read, we had read the script. We're going to the meeting. We didn't bring our portfolio or our reel, but Charlie had done some sketches um, prior. And uh, we just went and showed the sketches and... Uh, just had the conversation. And then based on the sketches, I did a little maquette, a little uh, clay prototype, and we kind of tweaked that a little bit, and I think they were sold on it. They liked our take. Now, immediately before this, we inherited you guys from your own movie that you did, Killer, Clown- Killer Clowns from Outer Space, which is classic and wonderful, but we got our production designer from that movie, we got you guys from that movie, and... Steve, you were the director. Ed, you were the producer. And Charlie, uh, all of you wrote it together, right? Yeah. Yeah. And Charlie did all the designs and everything. And and tell me about that process of your first directing job. Oh, well, that was really interesting. You know, we we came up with this idea. Fred Fuchs, whom we worked with at Fairytale Theater, at Shelley Duvall's Fairytale Theater, Mm -hmm. had a a deal with uh, Transworld Entertainment. They were looking for a direct-to-video concepts, IPs. So we pitched Killer Clowns from Outer Space with a maquette of a clown, a one-sheet post that Charlie did in a treatment. We pitched it to Moshe Diamant in the room, and he bought it in the room. room. Our our very, very first 
feature wow. film pitch. We thought it was easy. easy. <laughs> <laughs> first and last. Yeah. It's the no, second one now. that's harder. Yeah. 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 more difficult than your first two. feature yeah. is your second feature. Yeah. So that, that was pretty amazing. So, yeah, we got involved in that. It's and It was, uh, yeah. Quite an experience. I think after the first one, I was a much better director if I had a second chance. I learned so much in the first film. Yeah, it's like going up two hills. Yeah, yeah. it was interesting right after that. Then we went back to our effects while we were developing other properties. And then Nick's Critters 2 came up. So it's our 30th anniversary as well. So to think that it was all done within that same period of time. That same year was Killer Clowns and Critters 2. It's really kind of the heyday of the 80s monster movies. Rubber monster movies of the 80s, yeah. Did you come up with Killer Clowns? I mean, had you already sort of planned that all out and were hoping to get it made? Or did you do it on the spur of the moment, kind of come up with a concept? It was so so quick. You got an idea and you're like, yeah, we got Killer Clowns. We we came out to do stop-motion animation, the slowest, most time-consuming, expensive Technique, and we couldn't. You couldn't give that stuff away. So then, when we heard that they wanted movies, you know, low budget movies, we tried to figure out what's the scariest thing we can make that we could afford to do with a low budget. Yeah, the trend was like with uh, uh, Gremlins and ET. Directors wanted to work with something live, like actors yeah. live on set. So it was puppets and animatronics. So we kind of moved into that territory, and the concept that we came up with was clowns from outer space. Yeah, guys in suits with animatronic faces that could yeah. do, you know, could do funny little prop things and with crazy little. Uh, you know, special that. effects. It's a funny little movie, but again, the, they bought it on the title alone. Then they prom- was, I would buy it on the title. And then they, and then they promptly dropped drop from outer space from the title. Oh. Well, well, they, they didn't know what we were doing. We got shipped up to Santa Cruz to make this on our own. And they didn't know what we were doing. They thought it was going to be a bunch of clowns, men dressed up in clown suits with knives. But we created a whole other world of aliens. It's funny, they were doing another production in Sri Lanka at the time and it turned out to be a nightmare production so all the executives went off to Sri Lanka nice. and they left us alone in Santa Cruz <laughs> to make this movie well this is the funny thing about making a movie back in the, the late 80s um, we had uh, no video assist you had to look through the camera to do your, your, right. your shots we were in a situation in Santa Cruz that we didn't see our dailies until three days later. They'd ship them down to Hollywood. Only for the first week. And then, oh, oh, God. So, so we had our editor that was giving us reports. After the first week, we didn't even see dailies. We'd oh. see on, on video a week later. Oh, my no, God. What was sad is, you know, Stephen goes, all right, I want this shot and this shot. We'd set up this shot. We'd look through the camera and see it. And, you know, okay, action. And then Stephen would, you know, he'd, he'd judge the performance and stuff just watching it live. And then he'd ask the DP, did we get it? The guy goes, yeah, we got it. And then we saw the dailies. Yeah. We didn't get it. <laughs> that, was, that wasn't frame right. We didn't there, get there, it. There's a, there's a shot where the clouds are walking into the frame from behind camera. And, and we said, the, the clown shoes are really difficult to walk in. So we didn't. We didn't have them put the shoes on so they could do it. Don't worry, you will never see, see them. Feet. Oh, no. yeah, right? <laughs> Here they come oh, in their feet. loafers. Uh, see the their feet. loafers. And <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's what it was. The killer clowns aren't very scary. They were wearing loafers and bad feet. <laughs> penny loafers. Yeah, that was that with a pe- big, shiny <laughs> penny. So, Lynn, you and I have had similar experience in that once you have some success, particularly within this genre, this genre wants to keep you around. And so you've had a career mostly in the horror genre. No. And comedy, yeah. and comedy. Yeah. But I mean, but, but even recently, uh, it's been a lot of Blumhouse movies for yeah. one thing, but a lot of uh, films within. Yes, comedy too. But I, I mean, it's been crazy because I never, 
I hate to say this. I probably shouldn't say it. You could cut it off. I don't really like horror films. (laughs) (laughs) And that's been postmortem. Thank you. (laughs) I mean, I I shouldn't say that. You like good horror. I like good stories. I'm a storyteller. And and I love, and I do love, first of all, what I love most about horror films is the family that is... uh, of the of the horror makers, I mean, you guys, and it is—it's a real camaraderie that's different than other aspects. Is you know, comedy, drama—they're all over the place. But if you're a horror filmmaker and a horror aficionado, there's a, a, a company and a warmth of a, it's like a community. A, there's a community yeah. it's around a community you, and it's of totally outsiders. fabulous. Yep. Yeah, it's a community of outsiders, and I think that's what draws us together. That's that's a very good point. I mean, I. I I kind of feel like I'm a real outsider, even of the outsiders, <laughs> that I sort of stand. I mean, I'm not – if it's a good story with good people and a good character, I don't really – whatever the genre is, I, I want to work. You know, I want to I wanna create that person. I get – if I get excited about what is the person, what are the circumstances, I mean, I really go back to my acting roots, you know, from Uta Hagen and Stell Adler and – you know, the greatest acting coaches of all time. Totally. I mean, they've given, they've given me everything, really, to be honest. And so um, the fact that I've been embraced by the genre is thrilling, I mean, to be honest. And I didn't mean to say – I mean, obviously, no, no, no. I was doing it for for comic relief. To say, <laughs> you know, I don't like oh those roots. But I, I'm not attracted. I, I never was like to real bloody stuff. Or yeah. I, again, for me, it's story, character, and 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 opportunity. So when those things all come together, and I've been very fortunate, really, really have. You know, and Bob Shea, who we know produced Critters, he really gave me my first opportunity, pretending he didn't. Like yeah. when they did, like yeah. when we did, I had a little teeny part like in Karina, Karina, but I auditioned and I really worked hard and I got the job. And then, um, but when Nightmare on Elm Street came around, which was Wes Craven's first movie, I think Bob said, put my sister in your movie. End of story. <laughs> and, and I remember I got the job and I thought, why did I get this job? You know, I was like so excited. And, um, and, and Bob did that a lot for me. I mean, he, he was a tremendous supporter and then pretending he didn't really do anything. And that's even with comedy, with the Fairley brothers. Right, He, right. you know, said, you know, because the first Dumb and Dumber was a New Line movie. Mm-hmm. And Bob said, put my sister in your movie. And Magda became one of your and most famous that, creations. Yeah, yeah, and, then, yeah. and then from there, <laughs> gratefully, because of Uda Hagen and Stella Adler. Because yeah. you know? they're so funny. <laughs> they were so funny, right? They told me. But they taught me how to work. And yeah. they taught me... They they did teach me about comedy, uh, which is still honest storytelling with good timing. Yeah. And I'm grateful. The timing thing is from my mother. <laughs> and the same I mean, thing, the same thing really. goes for, for horror movies, too. It's, com- it's timing. It's so true. much about timing. And you can have a horror movie without good story and good characters, but basically it's a, a string of slashing deaths. But a great horror movie has to be a great drama it first. You, right. It, it has to be great in, drama first, in. I think. And even in creating the characters, you know, you lead your, you try and lead, I try and find what's going to lead the audience into into my my psyche there. And in horror films, it's especially fun, you know, because you know there's going to be a scare at the end or you know, you know, there's going to be a, pay, a real payoff. So yeah. I really do. I've been so grateful and, and Critters was my beginnings, you know. I mean, so how can I be anything but happy? When did you find out that you were going to be in the sequel? When did you find out you were going to be brought back, when Sal was going to be brought back? 
You know, I don't remember. Um, Probably once they decided to make the sequel. Really? I mean, <laughs> You'd be well, integral to yeah. it. Yeah. Um, I just remember them sort of talking about it. And um, I, I mean, I really, I was as surprised as anybody else, you know, that it was going to be, that the character was going to have another, another, more life to her. And so, um, but I don't remember the exact time. I think it was, they, I just knew they were going to do it. And I knew that... Um, that Barry Corbin was going to be doing yeah. it, and you know, instead of Emmett Walsh. Yeah, there were reasons that they didn't want Emmett Walsh back, and I, I, you know, I was a huge fan of. See, his I didn't work. know that. I just thought he wasn't available. So, I, so what's well, the scoop? <laughs> what is the scoop, Mick? <laughs> I don't know that it should be public, but he, well, well, he, let's just say he was a handful, mm-hmm. and they didn't want a handful on a movie that had this budget and schedule, and so we we cast around for a new Sheriff Harv and just never made mention of it. Normally you'd say, okay, we're going to have Sheriff Fred instead of Sheriff Harv this right. time. But we wanted the continuity of the character, if not the actor. And Barry Corbin was such a great, great discovery for me. I mean, I'd seen him on television and in movies. He, he was, was in on. our theater company. We had a theater really? company that Barry was in. Oh, yeah, wow. so I knew him for a long time. And of course, No Country for Old Men. He's yeah, unbelievable he's in that. And just a great actor and the sweetest guy in the world. So I was so glad. And he really is that Texas guy, you know. I, what is all this bullshit? You know, that was, that was your western. You know, plus the fact that, you know, you're going back to Grover's Bend. How could it be Grover's Bend without Sal? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I didn't know, you know, I, I was just glad to be hired. Yeah. <laughs> For real. Me it's like, too. oh boy, yeah. I got a job. You know, I mean, I still feel that way. <laughs> So, so Mick, when, when writing the script, you had David Tui's script. What were some of the things that you did to make it your own? Because I know there's, there's a, you know, Na- Nana's got a kind of a vegan bent, and I yeah, don't know if that I was a Mick I wasn't a vegan or vegetarian back then, but, <laughs> um, but my grandmother, I called her Nana. We called her Nana, and so that character v- became very much... My grandmother was way ahead of her time. You know, she actually ran a speakeasy and met Bonnie and Clyde in her youth oh, back awesome. in St. Louis. Oh, and she was married eight times and was a real character. So wow. I kind of... The, the Hair to Wear character, she, she was Will Gear's wife, Hair to Was. Oh, wow. And uh, oh, I didn't know that. so they have the uh, Theatricum Botanicum, right, right. which was an open-air theater in, in uh, Topanga Canyon that, that did a lot of Shakespeare in the way. Was she a theater actress, too? Though? She was very much a theater actress. She's also in Cocoon and lots of other movies. Uh, but, um, you know, it was... I wanted to bring in more humor, uh, you know, the the Freddy Krueger joke. I thought, this is a New Line character. By the way, I was really in. surprised. I, I remember it from years and years ago when I rewatched it last week. I was surprised that you guys didn't go all the way and actually have Freddy show up. How that ever... distracting would that be? Well, yeah, I <laughs> guess know? so. I, I mean, we so. had a movie that was telling one story sure. that would have been a tributary. First of all, then it would become a Freddy movie, and we would have had to well, hire Robert to Englund. Uh, yeah, no, that would have been fun. But it was way too expensive yeah. even yeah. then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a Critters movie, not a, a nightmare Absolutely. Movie. No, it's, Critters a great, it's a great gag, though. Critters versus uh, uh, Freddy Krueger is a movie that could be. I want a movie about your Nana. She was pretty amazing. It's pretty 
funny movie. though because like I, I watched it going oh Nick must have written all this stuff in about Nana knowing knowing you now but that's that's interesting that yeah I it was, was it not was a precursor of things to come I it, guess it was and you know the, the there were a number of things the uh, the hungry heifer sequence where the battle in there which yeah. we had a second unit director named Alan Holtzman who had done Forbidden World for Roger Corman and a couple other movies but he he did a lot of the work with you guys yeah. the Kyoto I mean, that, that's yeah. really the the life of a creature artist. We uh, we mostly work with the second unit directors, right? <laughs> so all of the things where you know one painstaking shot at a time, where there's a critter puppet flipping a hamburger that takes three hours to get that one shot, right? Uh, but things like you know the the hair coming off the top and him looking in the toaster and go ooh bitching, you know that was <laughs> something of mine. And and well, that's a, that's the biggest step that you took from the first. Critters movie is really making distinct critter characters, right? Um, with with things happening, you know, pieces getting blown off, just physical, obvious physical attributes that were different and biting. Like, but there were gags in there that I, I wanted to do, and it's interesting because I've never done a comedy since then, other than half of Quicksilver Highway. But you know, the critter bites into a tire and blows up yeah. like a balloon. Then the tire <laughs> rolls and flattens it, and you reveal the pancake critter and things. Yeah, like that. it's problem solving. That's what it is. You know, in a movie like Critters, you know, you're given, given a sequence and we have to figure out how we make a little puppet bite a tire and inflate. And it's just all kind of, you just put your head together and try to come up with a solution. Well, and I don't have to worry about that shit. Do you guys, <laughs> do you guys get along well when you, with, in terms of listening to each other? I assume you do. Cause oh, in terms of like, problem solving? Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, brainstorm. I, yeah, brainstorming becomes a little, con, you know. Uh, you know, a little, con- what do you call it? Uh, contentious? Contentious, yeah. <laughs> contentious. Do, do one yeah. of you take the lead in terms of coming up with the, uh, uh, like a premise and the other, I mean, is there like a protocol for the three of you? It's really sure. funny. So you know, we know, build, you know, you have a, uh, you know, an idea put on the table and everybody jumps in, okay. you know, and, and throws ideas out and you sort of, you know. I think depend- the best idea wins. Yeah, the one that makes us all laugh. Yeah, or the one that that, and then then we think then Edward takes a look at how much it's going to cost. That's, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's the producer it ruins everything. <laughs> no, no, unfortunately, some stuff we lose because of that. You know, yeah. so. but what's that's great about you guys too, and working with any effects guys or or monster makers or creature makers, is having an idea. And you guys making it better go, that's great, but what if it did this? And it's all for the good of the movie, you know? Whoever has the best idea wins, you know? That's what you want to embrace is what makes the movie the best it can be. So who came up with the Critter Ball then? I guess that – was that in the script? I think that that might have been in Tui's script. Oh, really? I didn't even know that. You know, uh, well, was it? I'm sure. You know, I I don't remember. I seem to remember maybe the – Giant ball was, but the ball the, was, but, but the mechanism with of, of of jumping together, the the, the logic behind it all. I, yeah, I, I, well, I remember well, the meetings. Yeah, I, we did bring that together. I think there was an idea that that they all did that, but the whole the hamburger factory explosion and stuff was something <laughs> we added to it. And oh, that was a great reveal. Uh, it, well, you think it's the end of the movie, yeah. and it's like, wow, this movie's only seventy five minutes long, but. The hamburger factory blows up and and Brad and Megan are finally going to kiss. They keep having kiss us, interrupt us. And then then this happens and romantic music plays and they're fire lit from behind and it's great. Wesley comes up with ketchup on his jacket and then it's finally, here it is. And then everything starts to shake. And that 
there's a whole other act after the critter <laughs> yeah. ball comes that was out. A, that was a topper that topped the beasts prior yeah. to that moment. It yeah. was a bigger monster. It's a big surprise. Yeah, because yeah. we'd, seen, we'd seen everything. We'd seen the babies. We saw the critters. We saw critters come together to make s- smaller balls. And we even had a larger critter, right. you know, waving them all into the... The warehouse, the hunter, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it's funny. But, but then, but then you topped it by that freaking ball. Well, <laughs> but the, the, the thing is, you know, it's uh, to uh, adults the critter ball rolling over someone and leaving a writhing skinless skeleton. skeleton. Yeah, that was it's mine. Funny, <laughs> it's funny. But to children, it must be cheap. But it must be terrifying for <laughs> yeah. the for the children to. It was to a PG thirteen, yeah. and we got yeah. away with literal murder in that yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's funny, the same, like, uh, what draws us to, I guess, we're not super fans of the slash movies. Yeah, gore, not, we don't yeah. do but, gore, we avoid it. monsters that. can do anything, anything. to a yeah. person, yeah. and it's okay. Well, because there's a separation. See, yeah. men killing men, slashers and stuff, serial killers, that's too real. You can go to the paper and see that. Monsters, there's a, uh, you know, there's a level of separation where you know it's fantasy, where it's fake. And it's fun. And it's fun. Yeah. You yeah. leave the theater thinking it was, a, that was an enjoyable time. You had fun at the theater. Yeah, I was never afraid of King Kong or Godzilla no. or the big monsters. No. You know, but, Even uh, Frankenstein. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you want to go back to that. Yeah. And Abbott and Costello and Frankenstein made the, you know, was, yeah. was the def- is the definitive. I've seen that yeah. movie maybe more yeah. than any other movie with the possible exception of A Hard Day's Night. Yeah, oh. <laughs> now we know more about you. <laughs> Good company. <laughs> but, you know, back to the giant ball, I want to talk a little more about that because the concept was one thing, but the way you guys actually, that's a really complicated effect, this giant, heavy-as-hell ball with a bunch of faces that are remote-control servo-operated. Yeah. It, was, it was a real challenge, and it went through a lot of different variations as we were in production. Now, we yeah. began with... The, 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 well, the drawing, ball, the, the drawing was, was easy. Real <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was full size. It was, it was full, full. Ten, ten foot ball was yeah. uh, like a geodesic dome, aluminum oh, structure wow. that we put two halves together and covered that with fur and animatronic heads, blinking eyes, the whole deal. That original idea, where we were going to push it, and that was a stupid idea. It was too <laughs> heavy, and we were we were crushing the faces. But then we did the beach ball version, exactly yeah. with the giant just inflatable. a bunch of pelts. The yeah. inflatable, and there's one shot, the first shot, when it comes into the town, you see two pair of legs behind it of the grips yeah. who are pushing the inflatable. That was me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have, that was we funny, have but then uh, luckily Marty Brezen, Marty Brezen, Marty Brezen yeah. you know, the effects uh, uh, supervisor came in, and then he came up with a rig that mounted our giant hero ball onto a, a truck that right. made it roll, and that yeah. was the great, because I remember the storyboards, the the... The Ben Hur ch- chariot yeah. race shots. Yeah, you shot the hell out of it, Mick. Well, <laughs> Chris Peachin did the storyboards, yeah. but it was something that to this day, it's 30 years now, and my career is a little longer than that so far. It's the most difficult action scene I've ever done in my life. Really? And while you're doing that critter ball with the remote control stuff, going battling a truck for real, mounting cameras and everything, and and that that race and battle and they're banging together. Yeah. And green screen, it's real. No yeah. green screen. Bob going yeah, yeah, Bob wasn't around. <laughs> but uh, look at my watch. <laughs> yeah, but Herman Cass was. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, um, but it was so challenging. <laughs> and this movie was shot mostly at night, night. <laughs> which was freezing cold. Yep. But at least it was winter at night where you've got long nights. Usually you shoot summer at night and you get six hours and that's a wrap. But this, uh, it was really hard to do. And it is when you've got what you guys do, it's piecemeal. It's piece by piece by piece. And it's 
it's to the, this day that and the chase scene in in Sleepwalkers are the two most complicated chase scenes well, I've ever the, done. Again, it was it was great because we had the the hero ball that we got a lot of all the the you know meat of the sequence with. Then we had the stunt ball that we that's the thing we'd hit against people in the car, and then we made a a, a close up section for yeah. inserts and post production, all the biting yeah. stuff. So you took all those little elements instead of trying to do everything with the one prop. Um, we actually that was the first time we had luxury of a little bit of a budget, even though it was only a four million dollar movie. Our budget was like three or four times more than we had on the first critter. Right. So we had, a, you know, we were we were given a lot of tools to work with, mm. and it felt like a big budget movie, even though it was so small. The scale of that little movie is, is you built huge. the town. We built the town. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, that's right. Where did the money mostly go, the extra? I mean, what, what, was it used for the mechanics or? Well, well the number of extra yeah, specialty gags. Yeah, the sheer critters. number of puppets. We had, we had like a lot 30, of, yeah, we had eight or ten hero puppets, then yeah. 30 or 40 <laughs> background puppets, plus I don't know the how many balls. balls. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, and the critter balls, the easiest effect in the world was having critter balls chasing trucks and people, and they would turn and everything. People would go, how in the world did you do that? It's just fishing line tied to a guy's ankle or, <laughs> yeah. or oh, to the axle of I the would, truck, so it goes, and you don't see the fishing line. It, it's the cheapest effect in the world. And we got, we got really good on the first critters. We made a, a really sophisticated, um, self-contained radio control critter ball that worked beautifully in the shop and on the, on the perfect cement floors. But as soon as we brought out a, on location, and it had any sort of little rocks or pebbles, it was useless. It was a wasted prop. It was, there's not a shot of it in the movie. So we solved it with the most simplest thing. We had a urethane bowl covered with fur, and we would offset on the inside a weight. You put a it weight. would be on the left or the right ah. side, and you bowl it, and the weight would make it turn. And we were able to turn it right angles oh, once you practice God. a little bit. And it was the Who simplest. Who came up with that? Who came up with that? Yeah, I'm not sure. Huh? I don't know. Yeah, maybe Dwight was playing around with Dwight Roberts, our shop foreman at the time. And we did some in reverse too. Yeah, exactly. Yes. We did Every like little, coming up yeah. the the steps and things. Yeah, yeah I mean, totally based on I'm we just throw I'm them down steps. I'm learning more about stuff back. that I never yeah. had any idea. Again, the simplest gag, and when you when you had the wagon train, the crowd of critters coming to the town, we had 20, 30, 40 critter balls yeah. rolling all together in mass. That was they all they were axled. Yeah, little right. little put little yokes on the side yep. of each yeah. ball. Like Stagecoach, and, and they were yokes and kind of strapped together and pulled and. Oh my it God. worked beautifully. What a great illusion. And uh, Gene Warren Jr. did some great tabletop effects. The miniatures of all of the balls gathering yep. amongst the trees and stuff I out in the that. field. Yeah. It's all uh, miniature. You can't tell. Mm. I mean, and there's some really amazing stuff for such That's a little I movie. I had no so, idea. <laughs> I mean, this, I'm learning more about the movie. Than so it was an album really? movie, effects movie. It was no, a, I think we're going to go overtime movie. on this show, which is <laughs> But fine. you know what it is? <laughs> it's a bonus Filmmaking episode. was different. In the 80s, we were shooting cut to cut. You look at a storyboard, you built for the shot. Now, the camera never stops. Right. You follow a thing, there'll be a, a two-minute, four-million, five-minute shot. You know, we went cut to cut. They needed a head explode, we built a head that exploded. We need a hand to be burned, we, we did the hand It's burn. a jigsaw yeah. puzzle. Yeah. yeah. You know, so one piece at a time. So, Mick, I mean, you, went, you, went, you did a made-for-TV movie, Fuzzbucket, and yeah. then you stepped on the this. As, oh, as, as we, as the we, amazing stories, right? And amazing stories, before, but yeah. this is a this is a big step. I mean, there's there's all sorts of effects as we've we've talked about. I mean, wh- how did you handle that kind of pressure? What was the? 
You know, it's it's like a recovering alcoholic. You do it one day at a time. It is, seriously, you have your days. You, you do as much planning as you can so nothing takes you by surprise. But something's going to take you by surprise. This movie has everything in it that's difficult about making movies. It has uh, creatures. It's practical effects. It has a, a relatively large cast. Um, it's all location work uh, with lots of night shooting. There's kids. There's dogs. There's animals, and you know, elderly cast members. And and it was really complicated. But all you can do is take a bite out of that burger at a time, and and. Trust the people around you. Surround yourself with really good, talented people. I'm not a creature creator. I have my ideas, but you guys know how to do that better than me. I'm not a cameraman. I know what a lens can do and how to light and things, but a cameraman knows better than I do. And to be surrounded by really good people and to encourage them to do their best work and not be a taskmaster, but... We're all in this, this war together and we're all fighting the same war on the same side through encouragement rather than losing your temper and being pissed off all it's the team. time. It's a good teamwork. I it, mean, it really is. Like if you've got a great team together, we, everybody helps each other and attitude, yeah. attitude goes a long and, way. And you get the best out of people when you do yeah. it with encouragement rather yeah. than being a dictator. And make, I may I add, may I put the, <laughs> Is one of the, is a great leader because of that. You have a very wow. even. No, you really are. Thank you you create an atmosphere where we all want to give to you, and more people, and to the movie and yeah, to the movie. But it's great. but the idea that that you are you are presenting the you bring out the best in all of us, and I really think you do that as a that's a great director in my opinion. The the rest is is all the other stuff. Yeah, <laughs> but, but without a good team and without but a isn't good team that the leader, job? Isn't the job to oh, so recruit people great people and encourage them to do their best work and make them feel like they're doing something wonderful together? No, make them a, a part of it, which is, which is great. I got to say that you know it was a very pleasurable experience, you know, the displeasure came from the situation and the deadlines and, and you know, just yes. the, the sheer bulk of work that had to be and done. No, <laughs> Yeah, but nobody, but, but I don't think we ever said that uh, Mick is an asshole. No. <laughs> you don't think. You, you know, don't think. <laughs> <laughs> what goes on behind No, no, you yours. know, we had a... The second unit directors, <laughs> not so, not so much, but well, yeah, um, yeah because, but yeah, well, we we mentioned I mean, him we earlier. Should, we don't we need to do it again. <laughs> no, no, no. We, we always have difficulty no, with that. He did really good. Job. You know, we're we're on we're in very uncomfortable situations. You know, in the you guys dirt, are huddled under the floor with right. puppets on your hands. On the we first were quarters, they went to lunch and didn't tell us. They left <laughs> us under the house. Oh, my God. <laughs> the, worst, wow. the worst thing about Critters 2 was we went back after they had chopped meat and ketchup and mustard. We shot. Three, four days later, we went back of this stuff stewing. You know, in there, we had to do the second part of the shot with old rotting hamburger meat. We had to get back underneath it, and who knows what kind of critters were in there? You know, real live furry critters were in there, and and we had to do that. That was unpleasant, you know, for yeah, the crew at that point. But uh, other than that, it was a uh, it was it was a piece of cake, birthday <laughs> yeah, cake. So um, I guess here's here's a question for you, Mick. Um, Lynn was, was, you know, you're bringing her back for the new movie. How did you guys work on expanding her character? Well, it was in the script, but once I met Lynn, 
I knew there was a lot to encourage about what she does, you know, to really have fun with it. You know, it's what's written for the scene when Brad Brown is back in town is just a handful of lines for everybody. But suddenly there she is in her Noel Neal drag, <laughs> you know, and mm-hmm. and and I discovered how much fun, what a meal she could make of Brad Brown is back in town. Wow. That line becomes like a trailer line with her, you know. Oh, um, thank you. And just making those moments work, you know, Sal is an important character in the first one, but doesn't have that much to do. And in this one, you become more tied into it. You're the first one who experiences the critters. Right, and, right. and then there's the dead Mr. Quigley, who was somebody else wearing the makeup. And she lived. Yeah. And she, she lived. lived. She yeah. Lived. yeah. People talk about they want, there's a real want, desire out there to turn this into a series, by you the know, way. You know, there is a series being made by AT&T called... Yeah. What is it called? Uh, it's Go 90 Verizon, actually. Um, oh, it's uh, Verizon. Yeah. Based on the Critters. It's, uh, it's, yeah. Yeah. it's Binge the of the binge. Critters or something. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. The, the new binge. binge. Oh, the yeah. new binge, yeah. But do they have the to critter. include then everybody, you guys? Well, they, we Are had you doing extensive it? conversations with them, but then the decision was made to go uh, to Vancouver. Really? Where it was cheaper. Oh. Wow. Yeah. And That's just for the record, no one has talked to me about that at all <laughs> no, in any you I know, just get it on Facebook where people say when are you going to do yeah, another yeah. one and when are well you this is this series is happening but I don't know when and I, but I, still you guys are part of the legacy of that continuing 30 years later I mean that's yeah. still got to feel pretty good it's yeah I don't know fun. how yeah I don't know how um, you know other people were in contact but the guys who did uh, Beavers are doing it and they have some good uh-huh. horror comedy chops so. oh good oh, well, that's good good did you um? I, I, it's interesting that this movie has become an Easter movie. Yeah. Uh, tell me, tell me your thoughts on that. <laughs> well, you know, I it was set on Easter when I got it, but I really wanted to make something out of it, and the whole you know the resurrection gag and and the Easter Bunny thing okay. was bunny delightful. Uh, the guy who played the Easter Bunny, uh, Dave Urson, was really good. But he was that guy. He was really grumpy. <laughs> and, you know, what is this, you know, Easter bunny shit, you know, <laughs> just grumping about it. And he was perfect. And to take this kind of slapsticky costume and he's doing the bunny hop and everything outside and then, you know, twist it to this horrible death revelation, you know, <laughs> resurrection scene in the, as the minister is talking about that. And then they were affrighted and crashed through the window. Um, if you can take a religious convention and turn it on its ear, it's kind of much more fun because you really feel like you're being a naughty little kid getting away with something, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that in particular, having we built that church just for the movie and really wanted to to go for it and and uh, you know it was really fun to play the, to the character's strengths. <laughs> Dave Erson could be kind of grumpy. grumpy. <laughs> so he we made it on this, a bunny ear. He, yeah, he turned it on a bunny ear. Exactly. No, the, the thing is, um, you take a, a scene like that, had you made it a straight horror movie, it would have been horrifying. You know, the, the Easter Bunny it was, was dead. The fact that uh, actually Mick chose the, you know, the Easter Bunny and it's killed by these furry little things jumping into his pants. <laughs> yeah, he got done in by the that was, that was one yeah, of my yeah, bits. Yeah, it, what it does, it diminishes the seriousness of the death because at the end of it, you're kind of laughing. <laughs> right. But, you, you know, but not then you're going, holy think, shit, when he comes somebody's through the glass. Dead. Yeah. Somebody, somebody's actually dead. We, we had the same thing with killer clowns. They kill you with cotton candy, 
But there's a heck of a death count in Killer Clowns from Outer yeah, Space. Yeah, right, absolutely. So. But the whole idea of, of having a holiday-themed horror movie, you know, Halloween kind of started the whole thing. And nobody thought of this as an Easter horror movie, but I really wanted to play with the iconography of the little old ladies putting out the Easter eggs and paint, the kids painting alien eggs as Easter eggs because, ooh, they're big Easter eggs. And Was, and was the Easter play- thing something that you brought into the script or did it always take place on Easter? It took place on Easter, but okay. we embroidered it yeah. a bit. Oh, no, yeah. I mean, you really made it your own and, and it is a Easter Our movie. Own. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. It was a good device because, um, you know, that's the way the, the critters get spread, you know. Right. There's these eggs that are found in, the, in at Quigley's and uh, they take them and uh, and, and she basically gives them to the kids. So, the, the And it's all candy-colored yeah, yeah. and right. so happy, happy and jolly right. and holiday. They're, the and to eggs have are made that of turn. sugar apples, right? I think I read that somewhere. Is that, is that right? Oh, no, they, they were, were cast in, in, oh, really? in uh, urethane. Were, or were supposed to, oh, okay. Kind of, yeah, textured, almost like it a lar- large oh, grenade. Well, that is, that is a debunked myth. Though. There you go. <laughs> you heard it first on Postmortem with Joe Russo. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, what it does, it's all that stuff, all those little details lighten the sheer horror of it. You could easily have made a terrifying critter movie. Oh, yeah. The position of those two laughs and the scares, that just makes it more interesting. It's this roller coaster up and down, up and down. And there's the whole idea of hand puppets, too. I mean, thank goodness there's a sense of humor about it. There's scenes so much in the movie, whereas in Critters 1, it's much more of a horror movie than this is. And so you don't see them nearly as much. They're in shadow, all of this. We've... They do everything they're capable of doing in this movie. <laughs> they are. Yeah, they're they're pranksters. I think you feel, even though they're they're doing horrible things, there's that element of yeah. being pranksters. Of well, Lynn, tricks. how do you, how do you like your horror? What you know? <laughs> what's your favorite horror? <laughs> but Broiled. The, do you like? It? Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, Over easy. No. Yeah. But do you like it with comedy? Do you like it when it's deeply dramatic? I mean, you've done both. Right. I think I'm. Uh, but as a viewer. Oh, as a viewer. Yeah. I think I pr- I like the comedy twist yeah. to it a little bit. I mean, um, I l- lately I've been trying to watch a lot a lot of horror that people have told me about, and it. I, it makes me very uncomfortable. I mean, I'm I'm not a really happy. I'm not a happy horror fan. <laughs> I think that's why it's not like I don't like horror, but I it makes me uncomfortable. And when it's got some comedy to it, I'm able to lift it into a new a new experience, right. you know, rather than just uh, fearful. And I think there's a skill to the comedy of horror. Um, the little movie Dead End I did years oh, yeah, ago with yeah. Ray Wise is yeah. a, a good example of that. I mean, it was. Uh, it was pretty horrific. The things that happen in it, very horrific. Yeah. yeah, but the but there's a it's it's also very funny. There's something very oddly funny, and we don't mean big ha ha either, right? You know, but but darkly humor, darkly yeah. dark humor is really well. Even the insidious yeah. movies have their moments of levity too. True, you know, with with Lee and you yeah, know, especially with Lee, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, <laughs> yeah. And Angus. yeah. But as far as a performer, um, do you like your horror more dramatic? Like in the, the insidious roles are pretty. Dramatic. They're pretty meaty. Yeah, I I like to think I stick a little humor in there. Oh, wherever you I can. Yeah. I mean, I I I, per, I like comedy. I mean, I like I like I think also the juxtaposition 
can also in- intensify the horror, to mm. be honest. I mean, I, it, it, you know, it's because um, you're leading people in one direction and then there's something else and they go, oh, and they take a deep yeah. breath and then you hit them. You, know, <laughs> and you really give it to them. Misdirection. Yeah, misdirection. Hitchcock was the guy who really started that. Right. You know, that I mean, was that, part of his rule book. Yeah. And I don't think of it like that because I'm not smart enough to think <laughs> of it like that. But I mean, uh, th- there is that element, I think, that makes it a very appealing piece of entertainment. Well, you get to do it from the inside out and we do it from the outside right. in. Oh, that's a good yeah. point. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, I, I mean, I love, again, I always go back to the story, you know, like being trying to be a good storyteller. And my perspective on life is cynical and comedic, I have to say. <laughs> I mean, I, and it's gotten more cynical than ever. Oh, so, oh I, I wonder why that yeah, is. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and I like incorporating some of that into the work as well. Um, I, I feel like I always want to tell the truth. That's really urgent for me. I don't care what the really what the genre part is, but there's got to be some kernel of something because we're artists, right? Yeah. I mean, that's why I think that's why we're all artists is we have we want to communicate an idea or ideas to to our viewers. Well, storytelling is veracity. You know, yeah. if if it doesn't feel true, you're not going to get sucked up into it, right? I guess that's true. And so I, I'm hoping that's part of the appeal of of whatever character I've played. Because um, I do play it from the, I give it as much richness as I can, um, and my emotions are gratefully very accessible to, for yeah. better and for worse. But usually for better in filmmaking, so Absolutely. I'm grateful yeah. to. Um, I mean, that's what great acting is: is to be able to be, to experience the broadest range of emotions, and why there are so many actors who are messed up, not present company excluded, <laughs> is that they have to be sensitive enough to portray the broadest range of emotions and insensitive enough to be judged by their most personal qualities every day of their lives. Oh, that's, that was a mouthful. You're right. That's <laughs> definitely true. Um, yeah, I mean, telling the truth in a, in a, in a safe situation is, is a gift for an actor. Yeah. I mean, that, that for me is really... I can go as deep as I can and be as vulnerable as I have inside of me, and then I can go home and pet my dog, yeah. you know, at the end of the and day. And that's the director's and, job is to make you feel safe. Yeah, yeah. Is that's, to that's make you feel protected because you have to be shameless to be a great actor. You have to put your deepest emotions outside. I hope I'm shameless. I really want, I want to be the... I I've seen Magda. The, <laughs> but I love what I, I love what I'm having the opportunity to do and, you know, going back to Critters and, I mean, we watch ourselves unfold. I've gotten to a point in my life, too, which because uh, I've gotten old, you know, but, but I mean in <laughs> no. a good way. I mean, I can look back and I can see, I can see my own courage, which has developed. And I think that's a big deal, you know, to, to be courageous as a um, director, as a writer, as an artist, because without that, there's nothing new that happens. And there, it is still old new, but it's new new, too. I mean, you know, what we can give. So, um, and Mick, I can say, oh, made, I even have that memory. I mean, you did make everybody feel safe. Because you were as vulnerable as everybody else. <laughs> that's for sure. And that was great, but that's fabulous. I was an open wound. No, yeah. but no, but vulnerable <laughs> no. with structure. Yeah. I mean, you, oh, that's thanks. really what a great director, I think, can offer, you know. So, anyway. Well, you didn't make uh, any actress or actor go through 50 takes, 100 takes. No. 
and that that becomes torture at some point, especially on something a horrific scene. Or, you know, oh, something to have Shelley you Duvall. Do you know you know the Shelley Duvall I just, story? I was, from yeah, Shining. that story is pretty pretty oh scary. Yeah. yeah, where she was, you know, that's abusive. But he, but she, even she said at the end, I was glad I did it. Yeah, which is you know the trooper this, that we become, sort of. Mm. Well, what about yeah, directors in, pushing in, into you know to the vision? I think that's important too. What about the creation of the creatures? I mean, you guys have been monster fans since early childhood, as I have been. Um, is Charlie mostly in charge of design? Do you come up with the ideas and then you guys fulfill those ideas? Um, sometimes Stephen, you know, will we'll do some clay sketches as I do the pencil. So sketches you're more the sculptor, Steve, and, and yeah. Charlie, you're more the yeah. sketcher. It's the best to, to sketch things out. I mean, as we're sketching, as we're sculpting, we talk about different things. So there's a dialogue going on while the art is being created. So in that sense, it's a brainstorming. Uh, but words can be, I don't know, misinterpreted and taken a lot of different ways. Yeah. But it's yeah. the drawing or the sculpture that really physical, physically locks it. One, one of the is. tricks that we do didn't necessarily apply to critters, but sometimes we'll, they'll, they're trying to describe a character. And then we go, well, if you were casting an actor, what actor would you cast to play uh, that role? That's a great approach. Yeah, so it gives us a little insight, not only visually, but mannerism, stature. Yeah. We had some... Lin Shay. Yeah. <laughs> always, always. <laughs> yeah, at the top of the list. Yeah. Well, there, were, there were no female critters, which is interesting. That's right. Yeah, there, there are eggs. Who's laying the yeah. eggs? We need... <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Now Me Too really Critters. Need. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's maybe that's where the web series goes. Yeah, yeah. So, Mick, uh, post production. Yeah. We, we've been talking about production a lot and how cold it was and and all, all the challenges. But post, tell us about that. Was was there any challenges that you faced in, uh, in cutting it down or tons of challenges? Not so much cutting it down, but just cutting together this right. jigsaw puzzle of so many bits and pieces and making them work. Um, I also knew I needed to have an orchestral score. And that's not easy to do on this budget of a film. Right. And I found a guy named Nicholas. How did you know that? How did you know that? I just, it felt felt like it was Spielbergian in that approach. And so you wanted, if not John Williams, at least something that... That, that had the breadth and emotional depth of a John Williams score. And it also makes your movie feel bigger than it really yes, is. Right. It lifts you. And so Nicholas Pike was uh, a composer who had sent in stuff. He had done one other direct-to-video uh, vampire movie. This was his first theatrical feature. Wow. And he recruited a group of 40 musicians, non-union, and recorded at a dumpy little recording studio way East County, L.A., maybe even beyond the county. And came up with a score that Steven Spielberg's uh, editor, Michael Kahn, used to tempt Spielberg movies <laughs> with after. That's really So funny. Nicholas Pike, uh, I've worked with him a lot. He's still my go-to guy. Uh, and he did, when I did uh, the video with Michael Jackson, I introduced him to Nicholas Pike. And Nicholas did a 90-piece a orchestra for Michael, and it just was oh, wow. astounding. Oh, wow. He did a 60-piece orchestra on Sleepwalkers at the, on the Columbia lot. But there was that. The visual effects, there weren't a lot of visual effects, um, but they were done by Fantasy II, um, Gene Warren's company, and Peter Coran did some work on it. And they looked like, you know, Hollywood movie effects. You know, they were... Everybody did a job that was equal to what a studio movie would have gotten, but on the cheap. And we really made it go far. Uh, you know, the the editor, uh, Charles Bornstein, 
had a sense of humor as well. as He had worked on A Nightmare on Elm Street and Halloween. He'd worked with uh, on all the big genre movies. So we were really lucky to have an amazing group of people. But one of the most exciting elements of the post-production process, and I don't know if you guys were there or not, we had a sneak preview. I was just going to ask about test screenings. Yeah, yeah. The, the only test screening that we did was at a Burbank theater that's no longer there. And it was packed. It was jammed to the gills. Uh, and every scream, every laugh, everything was huge. It was standing room only in this way. And it was huge. So cut to three months later when the movie comes out, I went to see it at my local theater up at Universal City Walk. There were three people in the audience. Oh, opening oh. night. And then Bob told the story uh, yeah. that you can go back and listen to the Bob Shea episode to, to hear. But Which is worth going was back and listening to. a disaster. The film, nobody wanted a sequel to Critters. But then on home video, it started to get this, this following that led to three and four being shot back to back, direct to video. But, you know, the post-production process was lengthy and... Uh, you learn so much when you have a panoply of choices that is just vast. I mean, well, there's always, infinite choice. You've always told me, and, and I've, I've seen it in practice too, the first cut, uh, the editor's assembly first cut is, is screening it as one of the worst experiences you can go through. You want to blow your brains out. Because <laughs> you go, what movie did we Yeah, do? you yeah. feel like... You thought you had. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, you also take it personally. You feel like... I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I really am shitty at this. <laughs> it's and amazing that everyone universally goes through that same experience. Is, though. But after, after you've done it a few times, you actually do get a little looser about it. You, yeah. know, you feel like, oh, I can do this, I can do that. I remember maybe, what was the first time I had it where I didn't want to shoot myself? <laughs> the stand I wanted to shoot myself because that eventually was going to be six hours long, oh and gosh, we saw yeah. an eight-hour cut. So much and it footage. Just went, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Um, but, but this was this is yeah. your first time, your first feature. theatrical yeah. feature. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and, and you're going through that for the first time. Do you remember like where your headspace was at? Oh yeah, it was horrible. I really <laughs> felt like I let everybody down. I'd, I'd made something that was really shitty. I had all these great people, and I brought them down. And so that's where you start from, and yep. none of the effects are in place uh. and all of that stuff. And then you have to just kind of chip away at it because the, you know, the Da Vinci statue is there, but you have to get all that rock shit out of the way first, right. you know, right. and then you find it underneath. Right. And so, how was how was was New Line supportive during that process? New Line was great. New Line was great. The first screening we did for them, right, was everybody just sat there. You know, no reaction because none of that stuff was in. And it was probably, I think the movie now is 88, 89 minutes, something like that. And uh, at that time, it might have been 105 or something. And you just sit there. Nothing's funny. Nothing's scary. And the suits are there just kind of. Sitting there looking quietly. At their, their yeah. Phones now. I used to watch it. Now wow. I was looking at their phones. But it was it, it it was grim. But we had a really good editor, and we had a really good team of people, and we we just kept working at it, and everybody believed in it, and and you have to go forward like it's the best movie in the world. Yep. You have to feel like you've made something of value, or you just do want to kill yourself. You know, it's so much hard work. You're working a short day is twelve hours long. 
And usually, especially you guys on the effects team, that's a 20-hour day many it days. It starts at 12. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's lunch. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's endless. But, you know, the, that screening was so gratifying. And at oh, least I have that. I and then recent ones. But, I mean, when it came out, it was like, yeah, well... Well, now you've taken this movie. You've you've been on the road with this movie. You've seen it at at festivals and at one-off screenings and stuff. What's the fan response been like? It's been amazing. It was like that first screening in Burbank. You know, here it is, thirty years later, and the jokes still feel fresh. You know, because it's made sort of like a period movie, even though it's contemporary. It, we got rid of almost all the contemporary references. It's very timeless. Yeah. yeah, and and it's a favorite theme of mine, which I've visited a handful of times. Norman Rockwell goes to hell, and you know you take <laughs> that's, that's great. I never uh-huh. heard that. That's you a, take the the ideal of what America is, like David Lynch did in yeah. Blue Velvet, and you find the ear in the grass. You mm-hmm. know, and and that's what this is idealized Americana. That's ripped invaded, asunder. Yeah, invaded yeah. by the creator. So, you know, uh, and people seem to jump on board with that. Uh, every screening I've been to in the last ten years has been either a sellout or close to, and and uh, an audience that was like that first Burbank audience. So it just helps if you have four hundred people instead of three people. In the you know, actually, Kingpin went through the same thing. I remember I was so excited because it was yeah. like the first big deal for me, even yeah. before something about Mary. And I went to the. I was going to the movies, and I wouldn't go with anybody. But it was opened, and it was it was at the probably Chinese. It was at a big theater, and there were like five people in the audience, oh, and it bombed. And they closed it. They took it. They pulled it after three weeks. Oh, wow! And so it's really interesting the journey. But Kingpin's yeah, another movie that's found life on video. Totally. And, yeah. Oh my god! And I mean, I get in Ralph's. I get <laughs> you know over the, the the apple. Somebody goes, "Oh my god, you're that woman." Yeah. Yeah. Kill a Kill a Clowns was named Pick of the Week by the L.A. Weekly yeah, here in town the oh. day it closed in L.A. Oh, oh man. man! It was in the oh, rear wow. theater at the Egyptian, and they 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 thought the uh, the the, well, that's right, the, 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 the American Cinema Tech yeah, next door. Yeah. yeah, and they thought it was a great idea to release it as a summer release uh, with uh, Willow, uh, with with, uh, with, with what uh, Ron Howard, yeah, Rambo Three and, and Island D Two. Oh, God. Yeah. isn't there something too about there is a timing thing about yeah. at certain times certain material is accepted better than other times. Mm. Like there was there was articles about Nightmare on Elm Street about that. Like, why is this guy so attract? You know, why does everybody love Freddy Krueger? And I even thought that about the character in Insidious, yes. and maybe it goes even to our characters from from Critters. You know, where there's a timeliness to um, people accept something at one one week and two weeks later they wouldn't be interested. And, and you know, Critters was a success on its own terms. I think the total box office it did at that time was around $10 million, which is respectable for a $2 million movie. But it doesn't make a desire to see the next one, especially because even that one had most of its success on home video. Um, It didn't hit in time. Uh, People go, Critters 2? I don't need to see that. You know, they yeah, probably maybe, didn't see Critters months, 1. And maybe six months earlier, it would have been, you know, that there's yeah. some, there's some, what's the, an overall, um, like, echo of the universe that kind of, you know, that, that fills our, yeah, yeah like, it really is where you go, you know, there's a certain t- 
timing of, of ideas, you know, where people yeah. accept ideas or don't. Well, it could have been a great Halloween release, I'm thinking. That's a Killer Clowns would have been a great yeah, Halloween yeah. release. Chris would have been an appropriate Halloween release. The problem is, release. problem is, almost every horror movie wants to come out at Halloween, Halloween now, and so yeah, so the competition. But anyway, I, thirty years later, I'm happy to take the fall. It's my fault. <laughs> <laughs> well, ultimately, like all creative artists, directors, you create something. And then you got to put it out there for the world to see. And that's somebody else's job. (laughs) And all of a sudden, you're a comedian and you bomb. Horrible feeling. But they all go through it. It's Part, it's, it's part, part of the, of the business, part of the, part of the yeah. deal. It's the Spielberg's birth canal. Through, yeah. The birth canal yeah. is narrow. <laughs> you know, Spielberg's gone through up. it. Hitchcock's gone through it. Everybody went through it. And, and you know, you are revealing yourself, especially an actor. You're putting yourself out there and being judged. Yep. And it, you can be a great actor in a bad movie. Yep. Um, but if you are the director on a movie that doesn't turn out well... Um, it is your fault. <laughs> uh, but is it? But if, if it's a good movie, <laughs> well, there's plenty of uh, credit to share. share if well. it's a bad movie, it's Blame somebody the director's else. fault. <laughs> Blame somebody else. Yeah. Or the writer. Well, or the I, editor. <laughs> yeah, it's his fault. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking editor. But 30 years later, I <laughs> yeah. think everyone can agree that Critters 2 is, is a great movie and probably maybe the highlight of the franchise. Well, and something to be proud of. Absolutely. Yeah. Good one. Absolutely. And um, Mick Harris did it. He did, <laughs> he did it. With a lot of help from a lot <laughs> right. of talented people named Kyoto and Shea. Yeah. yeah. Well. Among many others. Yeah. The film, by the way, was shot by Russell Carpenter, who was our director of photography, who went on to win the Oscar for Titanic. Yeah. Just wanted oh, to get that in. I didn't know in. that. Yes, huh. he did. Oh, yeah. yeah, and we spent two hours in a barn burying a critter <laughs> in Billy Zane, young actor <laughs> Billy Zane's body, who went on to do a silly movie called Titanic. Titanic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a linkage there. Yeah, <laughs> That's pretty impressive. Well, on, on that note? On that note, thank you guys for joining us oh, here, and thank you, thank Joe, you, for Thank you, Joe. Out. Thank You're you, Mick Garris. Thank you, Chiodo. This was fun. <laughs> thank you, guys. It's fun. And thanks to the listeners. We'll be back. Uh, this is a special bonus episode, so we're running three weeks in a row rather than every other week, so I hope you get your full. <laughs> if you're enjoying Postmortem, it would be a great, great favor to us for you to rate and review and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Uh, you can access all of my video interviews and behind-the-scenes documentaries, things like that, at mickgarrisinterviews.com. Reach us on Twitter at PostmortemMG and on Instagram on PostmortemGram. Thanks a lot for listening. Thanks for listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris. Download new episodes every other Wednesday and subscribe on iTunes. 